Sligo O'Toole podcast is sponsored by Queen's University Belfast. Researchers at Queen's are at the heart of supporting global efforts to understand the coronavirus. To discover more about their research, please visit qeb.ac.uk. Welcome to the Sligo O'Toole In Conversation podcast. My name is Brian O'Neill and my guest today is Professor David Rooney. David is Professor in the School of Chemistry and Chemical Engineering at Queen's University Belfast. David, thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Brian. So your main research is in energy storage, but also energy production. Isn't that right? It is, yeah. I've been working in energy for quite a long time. So it started yeah. off really on the, on, the, on the oil side, really vegetable oils moved into crude oils and gases and, and batteries and then and, and back into anaerobic digestion. Hmm. It's a fascinating time. I mean, I don't, I don't really think has there been such a growth in research in the industry, I mean, especially battery technology, this seems to be really accelerating with, with electric cars coming on stream and these types of things. Correct. The, the batteries have undergone uh, tremendous growth, really, in terms of not only how we basically use them, but also how much energy can be stored within them and how quickly we can basically charge them up. Because mm -hmm. I, I have a, a debate between a, a friend of mine who's a very half glass empty kind of guy. He's, he's a very uh, into sustainability and ecology. Who thinks the world is, you know, heading to the hell in a handcart? But you know, obviously with fossil fuels and all this type of stuff. But I, being of, of a technical mindset, I have faith that sometime in the next few years, five years, whatever, there's going to be a massive breakthrough in battery technology that's going to save us all. <laughs> and is this going to be like a massive shift? I mean, is that would would you be of that optimistic persuasion, or do you think we're just going to be this gradual increments of more efficiencies? Well, batteries will certainly, um, you know, they will incrementally increase in terms of efficiencies. There are some exciting technologies that are coming down the line, new types of materials that will be there, new ways of basically, you know, storing that energy through different metals. So moving from lithium to sodium, uh, other types and new types of high energy density batteries. When they break through and they should break through, then you know that, that there will be a change then again but you know at, at the same time there are issues around how much energy they store compared to other materials so you, you kind of like reach the kind of chemical limits almost of, of what the storage potential is i wouldn't say that we've reached the limits of what the storage potential is uh, what i'm sort of saying is that the energy density value of a battery is going to be much lower than other things like that than hydrocarbon fuels um, an example there would be that we have seen some inroads into, for instance, uh, electric aircraft, but it would be very difficult to get a 747 or an Airbus A380 to basically fly on battery technology. Okay, I see your point. Um, and in cars, because I, I know electric cars are still quite expensive, and I assume the reason for that cost is, is the batteries. So even with the, the ideal scenario, because, I mean, the actual range is quite good. Some of the new cars are two or three hundred kilometres. Um, so I suppose the big issue is getting the cost down. It is, and that cost is starting to come down. You see new types of uh, cars coming through, so um, which are significantly cheaper than than the Teslas and, and so on and so forth. I mean, they did start off quite expensive, and they are now dropping price quite significantly. Do you have an electric car yourself? I have a, a plug-in hybrid so oh, right. when I'm doing the short drives and I'm out to work, it, uh, it's on full electric. And then it's uh, whenever you do something a bit longer, then it switches. Um, but again, that the, the it, it works better in the summer than it does in the winter. And this is quite typical of these kinds of cars. Yeah, because the cold affects the, the charge capacity, doesn't it? Correct. Yeah. 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 I mean, is hybrid a good... Because I, I was looking around for uh, a new car myself, and I was thinking that hybrid probably is the most kind of sensible option, you know, kind of range anxiety or anxiety and all this here type of issues. I mean, is, is that, do you think, there could be a good intermediate step, or do you think well, the market will just move on to electric? Wholesale? It really does depend on what your driving is like. If you are doing short hops, um, then, then electric and full electric would be quite good. If you're doing very long distances regularly then it becomes a little bit more problematic now you can do it but you are increasing the weight of the batteries in the car you have to make sure that you've got sufficient charge time and so on to basically allow you to do that so the technology is moving when i made my decision it was just better to go for a hybrid and um, because of that combination between the short hops and, and the occasional longer type drives mm. 
because uh, once you go down the rabbit hole of these things, because I mean, my consideration was my, my car is eight years old. So if you buy a new car, then you got to factor in, you know, the, the production of that new car and the steel and the energy that's went into it and all that versus keeping an old car, which is perfectly on, keep it on the road. So there's all these kind of factors. And then with, with electricity, you got to say, well, how is the electricity made? If that's made from coal, <laughs> are you really saving the planet any more than just burning the petrol, you know? Oh, quite right. So yeah, being locked down into a purchase for a long period of time, which is a traditional kind of value, you know, the, the way that we tend to, to, to try to have ownership of things. So if you're buying a car and you keep it for eight years, 10 years, 12 years plus, then then yes, you are, you're committed. Um, but of course, if you the other options, and you can see these coming through in the market as well, is where you essentially just rent it. And then you can get the latest technology and the latest batteries and the latest you know systems and be able to you know modify it much quicker to suit your own needs you remember the israeli uh, startup a better world who had the idea of um you would pull up to like a petrol station and they would exchange the battery do you remember from a few years ago by 10 years ago i'm not familiar with I, I, is that the aluminium battery technology maybe i, I am familiar well, with the concept well, the idea yes. was that just they would lift they would take the battery out of the car and, st- and stick in a new one yeah. So there was you. You weren't waiting around for charging. Essentially, they would just kind of switch switch you out. But and that I don't think the idea ever took off. I actually thought it seemed quite sensible. You know. Yeah, the idea it could work. Um, you would have to get uh, agreement, of course, with all the car manufacturers that you would you would have the same kind of battery um, system and integration. They are quite heavy. These things. Um, if I went to the back of my own car, it's like a it's quite a heavy suitcase essentially sitting in the in the trunk of the car. Yeah. So it's not two giant AA batteries. <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's uh, yeah, it's 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 a little bit more complicated than that, and it has all the, you know, the the protective layers and associated around it to keep it safe. Because I know with some of the manufacturers that the same to put the the batteries um in a row, kind of along the base of the car, and I often thought that was you would think when you're designing it, you'd make it easier to kind of take the batteries out so that. In, few years time you know they have to because they, they will degrade and technology improves that you could just kind of swap out the batteries but that, that seems quite difficult to think it's a bit more difficult uh, what they obviously were trying to do in that case is to get the better weight distribution over the car to make the right handling better to make it safer for people and and just to get that you know that better driving experience rather than putting a, a huge weight into the back of the car which mm. kind of then changes how you do it. So it's it's safer and better for the car really to try and build it into the platform, um, you know, into the into that chassis. And uh, what's your, your your view on hydrogen technology for for cars and transport? It's it has well, it's it's mixed, shall we say? There, there, hydrogen is a great fuel. No, don't get me wrong. Um, fantastic you know in terms of its energy density in terms of a weight basis not so great in terms of a volume basis you would have very high pressure tanks sitting in a car and if you wish to use it currently for uh you know fuel cell type technologies that there's a lot of precious metal would need to be put into that car um and that there are some things around that that uh sort of raise well my eyebrows at least in terms of how much metal you would be taking out of other cars in other parts of the world in terms of being able to get their standards um, you know sufficiently well like euro type standards so if you what i mean by that is quite simply if you take a car for instance at the minute which is like gasoline or diesel powered it will have a catalytic converter that mm-hmm. catalytic converter has a certain amount of precious metal in it in order to be able to get a hydrogen powered car you need a lot more precious metal so that is coming from some you're taking it from somewhere and so there would need to be changes around the fuel cells in the car to reduce down those precious metals before, you know, so that overall, the overall package is in fact better. Okay. So like everything, once you start to get into the detail, there's a whole lot of other issues kind of crop up once you, once you fix one issue. Yeah. I don't think I particularly explained that very well. So maybe I could probably try and give it another go if you wish. <laughs> no, no. I think I understand where you're coming from because it's it's almost like um like our cell phones or our mobiles do a lot, but we know that there is kind of a lot of precious metals in them, and some of these metals are from kind of conflict zones, and there's all kind of ethical issues around them, and, and these types of problems. I presume it's the same with a lot of technologies you're talking about. Yeah, correct. So I mean, if you if you're taking precious metals, 
to go into a hydrogen car in the West, how many cars are you taking off the road in a developing country um, mm -hmm. to, to get them to the same standards as a typical car now? And yeah. is that there's an ethical question really around that. So technology is fantastic. Um, uh, environmentally, it's very good. But when you consider it on an overall basis and, and, and uh, an equity basis, is it right? So just exp expand on that, because why would you be taking cars off pure areas because they couldn't afford the technologies that we could or what's the rationale there? They couldn't afford the same. So they would. the precious metal has to come from somewhere. Mm -hmm. And if you are putting precious metals into hydrogen vehicles and fuel cell vehicles in the West, um, how what is the equivalent number of vehicles that you would be taking off the road in terms of that equivalent of precious metals? So if would it be the, you know, it would be equivalent maybe around three, four, five um, Euro five standard cars in terms of precious metal equivalent for one car, which is hydrogen powered in the West. Okay, got it. Yeah, so it's, it's all kinds of issues there. Um, is there any technologies that you think we should be aware of that you can see as maybe coming down down the line, which could be transformative with, with transport and cars and things like that? Well, it is. It is, you know, the there would be changes around uh, the fuel cells. There'll be different types of fuel cells coming through. There'll be um, there'll be just this hybridization of technologies, integration of small power generation packs, be it from hydrogen, be it from other types of fuels, with battery technology. That mix that would, would you know of, of various different technologies to you know to, to create cars of different types of powers and different transport systems and then and get them up to what people sort of demand and want okay uh the, the ideal scenario i suppose is, is if we all go back to um getting on on our bikes and we'll be uh <laughs> a lot, a lot healthier and <laughs> yeah the public transport side of it yeah. exactly because um i know i mean that the glider in belfast has been fairly successful and it's quite smooth and I, I i know it is diesel power but i i think the diesel generates electric and the actual glider itself is, is electric powered i think that's how it works isn't it i believe so yeah yeah so that there is kind of um different options that, that you can have for it and whenever you look at at the landscape uh off renewable energies in northern ireland i mean it, it's fascinating how quickly we've gone mainstream in wind and solar and now how much a part of of the general grid these technologies are because i know when you go on the um you can go on the dashboard of uh, air grid and you can see the kind of energy mix that's being generated and at the moment i think it's one third renewables half gas six percent coal so it, it's 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 fascinating that the change has happened, you know, in the past 10, 20 years. It is. We, we've made a, a lot of progress in the last 20 years around that energy mix, and it has had big impacts on the amount of carbon that we would generate as a, as a country. Yeah. Uh, the 50% gas figure, I mean, uh, which is, is that some of the power plants are gas powered? Because I, I know Kilroot is planning to change from, from gas, but I think they're cold at the moment. They are gas powered. Yeah. So there's, um, so those gas turbine systems would be, would be the primary backup power and the base load power for the, for Northern Ireland. Mm -hmm. And because the issue, I suppose, with renewables is that, you know, the sun doesn't always shine, especially in Northern Ireland, and the wind doesn't always blow. So you, you will either need to have some kind of storage system for storing the electric, or you will always need some kind of um, other fossil fuel component. I mean, is, is that your take on it? It is, yes. So, I mean, the, the fossil fuels and the gases are quite good in terms of being able to, to just have that base load and to make sure that the lights do stay on, particularly when you consider in the variability of, of renewables, such as wind and, and solar. Um, in order to be able to balance out, so the more renewables you put onto the grid, then the more you will need to have that energy storage capacity there to be able to balance that out. And so there is an increasing interest in, in sort of uh, energy storage technology and large scale energy storage technology. So batteries is one part of it. Power to gas is another one. Um, you know, you still have old types of technology such as hydro as well. I know Tesla, didn't they produce a giant battery pack for Australia, I think, to, to store a lot of the electric being generated? 
They do. So you can, for instance, take out battery packs even from from old cars and uh, to repurpose them and put them into these larger containerized systems and use those to store the power. Um, Northern Ireland does have one system, uh, which is about 100 megawatts, I believe, um, which it uses as a battery backup. All right, so we have it already. Where's that end, do you know? Or? It's it's Kilroot. Okay, because I know they have plans to spend... Um... 600 million they say but i didn't know they had some of these technologies already for doing this type of stuff yeah we were we were top i think of the in the uk for a short period of time until uh, until another power station in england then took over but we do we do have a battery storage system in northern ireland it's quite small again you know, compared mm-hmm. to our demand so yeah. if we've got a demand of around 1.3 gigawatts on, on average then if you have only 100, 100 megawatts that's that's that is small okay um I know in America, some places have these things where during the day, they'll use the energy to kind of pump water up a hill. And then at nighttime, it'll kind of run down to kind of turn turbines, you know, like a hydroelectric almost. Seems so there's, there's kind of a number of different ideas of energy storage beyond the battery, isn't there? There is. that The hydro is is one way of doing it. If you've got that estate, you know, in order to be able to allow you to do that, the amount of energy that you can store in water is not significant. It's not very high on a, on a, on a mass basis if you're pumping it up a hill. Um, and, you know, so you would end up, if you were trying to sort of balance it out for Northern Ireland or for the UK, you'd end up having to flood the entire of Northern Ireland. You know, it's that you know, it's it's that kind of volume that you would be looking at, um, and of course that's not going to happen. And so you know, it is useful to have it there, but it again, I think what I'm trying to say is that it's the amount of energy that we go through is huge, and the amount of energy then you can then store in hydro systems is is relatively small. So it's it's good for certain things. But it's not. It's not going to solve everything. Okay. And um, what is work? I mean, uh, what what's your take on the um, wind turbines? Because if if we're seeing, I'm just trying to see if um, does it give me a breakdown of the actual renewables here to see what's coming from the wind and what's coming from solar. I mean, what uh, do you think wind has been fairly successful so far? Or what's your take on wind? Uh, wind has certainly been the most successful in in you know here given the climate that we have wind was always going to be more dominant over solar um it you know it, it could be around four times the amount of energy that you would get in terms of capacity factor from from a wind turbine versus a solar power um if, if you know what i mean so mm. if i if i for instance put a a, a a wind turbine close to here then the capacity factor over here would be about 40 odd percent 35 45 percent um so that means if i put a megawatt there i'm getting you know 45 percent of that megawatt on average over the course of a year whereas if i put a, a solar panel there then the same the same quantity then i would get a, a, you know a third of that okay i actually i have solar panels on my house um because I know about five years ago, you couldn't go to the uh, at least home exhibitions without, without having 50 stands for, for solar powered companies. <laughs> so I got them in because I, I know the government gives you like uh, grants of year and bonuses. Um, do you think that is is the model of kind of local generation combined with grids? Or do you think it's better just to have the kind of um, the large scale grid projects that are kind of more cost effective? Well, solar is pretty good on houses. Um, if you can then get that to be stabilized and connected up. I mean, it, the advantage, of course, is that as well that it's quite close to the user. And mm-hmm. so there's a, there's a benefit that comes from that. And if you have all of that state again of those, you know, the, of the roofs on houses throughout cities and factories and so on, then why not put a solar panels on those um, rather than trying to take up new estate like, uh, like, like land outside mm-hmm. those cities in order to be able to put new new panels on. So there is expected to be a large growth, for instance, in solar power, you know, within Northern Ireland over the next 20 years. But wind will still dominate. OK, because I, I know there is technologies like um, you can have solar panels built into kind of like normal, normal roof ties almost and then can connect, connect together. And then there's obviously the, do you know, the solar, um, what's the one where you're just heating up water? That's, uh, solar thermal, yes. Solar thermal can be quite useful for you know, your hot water supply. Correct, and, and and many countries around the world would uh, would would have solar thermal and solar power. Um, 
solar thermal there's even companies in northern ireland that uh, that are that are developing new types of technology which will which you know do that much more efficiently on the subject of home do you think because in northern ireland we still have quite a lot of heating oil a lot of oil users and i know gas is is getting popular as well but but heating oil i think is, is still number one like 10 20 years down the line um or do you see the mix changing? Because I know people say it's kind of like a two-pronged strategy where it's important to kind of insulate, you know, to, to kind of stop the heat leaving in the first place, and then obviously the energy. But, but what, do you see any future trends there for the home? Yeah, increasing insulation and improving and retrofitting homes to and to increase that uh, efficiency allows you to, to, to look at other energy options. Uh, oil is good because of its energy density. You can you know, fill up a tank and it will last you quite some time. And uh, you can then, you can, and, and, it, and it's good for, for heating that way. Um, if you want to go to other energy options and reduce costs, then the first thing you need to do is to insulate those homes. So there's a massive retrofit program which would need to be, um, you know, rolled out across that existing housing stock in Northern Ireland in order to be able to allow it to switch over efficiently to other heating sources. Now, gas will increase and there is a, there will be a drive to get more people onto gas, which is better for the environment than, than, than oil at the moment. But at the same time, you know, the, the key thing is to reduce down the losses by increasing the overall, you know, insulation in those housing, in that housing stock. Because I know, I know that was one of the strategies that they were considering to um, kind of restart the economy was like a massive uh, retrofitting project or for houses, which which does kind of make sense to me. My my only concern, I think, with insulation was I'm, I'm a bit obsessed with uh, air quality, and I, I know um, some people say well the, the problem sometimes when you insulate too much is that you kind of reduce the kind of airflow within houses and you can kind of get damper and black mold and a whole host of other issues. So. It, it's and I suppose that's got to be kind of factored in. It, is air quality, you know, when you if you kind of make things too airtight. That's correct, and uh, you know there would be a drive then to make sure that you do get that proper air flow within houses, um, and air recovery systems, and that so part of the retrofit is not just the insulation, but also to manage that air. Yeah, because I, I know with new houses, because a friend on, on his, he's got like a heat recovery system, you know, that kind of brings fresh air in, that kind of recycles it, but I, I think it's quite difficult to do that on, on old, old houses because they are so kind of leaky, you know? Correct. Yeah. And the, the one other one I looked into was, um, what's the one that looks like an uh, air conditioner? What's that called again? <laughs> oh, it's uh, a heat pump takes, system, do you mean? Heat pumps, yeah. Yes. That, I, I can never really understand how that works. I know what people have explained that it's like a fridge in reverse, but it doesn't seem to have gotten that popular. Is that just because of the expense or maybe you don't know? But those they are they, again they work fairly fairly well on new builds it is it is just like a heat uh, like a fridge in, re- in reverse you know you you basically open the fridge door and put it outside and then the black bit that normally sits at the back of the fridge which is warm is the bit that goes inside um and so you know for every kilowatt that you put into that fridge you get about two two and a half three maybe kilowatts of heat coming out the back and so you can increase so you increase your overall energy efficiency that way. And the temperatures tend to be a little bit lower than you would get from a typical radiator. And therefore you need to retrofit your radiators, you need to riff retrofit quite a lot. And and you know, if you do have a leaky house, then it's going to be expensive. Okay. So your recommendation for any any homeowners is is always kind of start with insulation and plugging the gaps and all that there kind of stuff yeah i would i would yeah let's just reduce down the amount that we're wasting and then we can start looking at the options to basically then backfill that that heat uh, i have my own strategy in our house when the wife wants to put the heat on i just tell her to put a fleece on so <laughs> heat the body not the house you know correct yeah we don't necessarily need to be running around our houses with t-shirts on you know when it's freezing yeah, outside yeah um can you see nuclear making a, a comeback because I don't know if you've seen the, the Netflix documentary about Bill Gates and he's been uh, investing a lot of time and effort in uh, new designs for nuclear power plants because um, they said the basic issue with a lot of the ones in the, in the 60s and 70s and why I got such a bad rep was that the design was quite flawed in a lot of them particularly around safety 
and I know obviously Chernobyl, etc. But he's he's fairly convinced that they've got a new design that's a lot more safer and and smaller and cost effective. I mean, have you any kind of views that nuclear might make a comeback? Well, I think nuclear will certainly make a comeback in certain countries. I'm not entirely sure it's going to make a, a comeback on on this island, um, but. The UK is investing in it. Um, continental Europe is investing in it, and there are new designs. You're quite right. Bill Gates has been um, proposing and and supporting quite strongly a, a new breed of, of of reactors for quite some time, which were more efficient and will use up a lot more of the of the energy value within that fuel. So nuclear is is certainly there, and the reality is, of course, that you know we are connected to Europe through the you know the interconnector grids and the grids that we have so you know in terms of the electrons that are even being used for this interview we've no idea whether or not they're nuclear powered from France mm. because if we are importing an energy then you know then then we can potentially be importing in nuclear power yeah well exactly because I mean one of my clients in my day job has um they're trying to do the kind of super grid of energy around Europe um so to connect up all the countries the basic principle is you can have solar power being generated in in Spain that can then be sent on to UK or Norway or, or wherever and distributed across Europe. But I think I think the problem is um, long distances, isn't it? Keeping sending power over long distances is quite hard because you kind of lose lose the power. Yeah, correct. But there's a loss of power when you transport it over a very long distances. Um, yeah, it, it's it's given the amount of power then the amount that we lose is significant but there has been massive investments really um in the last while in order to be able to increase the grid capacity by you know putting those those highways of power between for instance solar in the south and then connecting it with um, wind in the north and these this is essentially in europe in the europe context so there yeah huge investment really in in, in bolstering that that grid and again, we have a bit of an issue in Northern Ireland and our grid is not as strong as it needs to be, particularly given the resource that we have. And when you say strong, in what way? As in the infrastructure or the power or what? what do yeah, you know? the infrastructure was set up to obviously to kind of um, transport huge like power to the main power stations. But for instance, uh, a lot of the, you know, electrical production, you know, would be in the West, you know, where it, which is not, which wouldn't have been on the same level of, of grid. And everywhere, you know, you want to basically put in a, a new wind turbine or, or you need to make sure that you are connected to that grid. And that location may not be sitting on a very high voltage power transmission line uh, and therefore adds additional costs to it. Is that is that like literally the, the cables that run from the 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 power turbines to the, the network essentially correct yeah so well most people for instance would live around belfast and that's why you have power stations mm -hmm. fairly close to here um you could you could get uh you know electrical production over in in a skillen and so on and so forth you know where where the same level of you know interconnect or grid capacity isn't there now it's improving but it's it, it's going to take you know time and money in order to be able to do that and, and who is actually controls the grid so there's the you know there's the TSOs the transmission system operators you know Sony and so on in Northern Ireland you know the system okay, operators for Northern Ireland and Sony are they're a commercial company are they they are it's a, a little bit so Ireland is on a on a a kind of a it's so the north and south so we are on a, a, a kind of a our own grid mm -hmm. um, north and south and Sony are an operator. Um, which are independent of ESB, I think, in the South. I'm not entirely sure of it. It's, it's, yeah. uh, I'd need to go and, and, and you know, yeah, I think it's, I think it's linked again. to ESB in yeah. some way, isn't it? It is, but because yeah. it's in north of Ireland, it, it, it can't be um, uh, controlled then by uh, this, the Republic. So there's, there's a way that it's, you know, managed so that it's independent. It's, uh, yeah. Union of Spheres that the guns switch the lights out on us. <laughs> uh, and uh, so Sony, their their job's going to be upgrading the network. And is that is that like pylons and all those things every everybody hates? Is that is that what correct, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what, what we need more of. Hmm? Oh, we yeah. do need more and of it, them. Yeah. And if you're transmitting electric from like Enniskillen to Belfast, is that an issue with distance or is that kind of distance kind of manageable easy enough? Oh, the distance is manageable. You, as I said, you will lose 
power you know um whenever you transmit through uh, through a line it, it it's not a hundred percent efficient and they the longer the line then the the more you will lose so you have that's why you have to go up to very high voltages in order to be able to reduce down the current and the current is what's really then uh, you know affecting that 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 loss of power okay and looking at some of the new technologies because i know you're one of your specialist areas is anaerobic digestion which in simple terms as i understand it is you kind of take food waste and process it and you generate there's a demethane from the food waste that's then burn to I presume turn turbines is that, is that a simplified version of it yeah quite uh, that's, a, that's a simplified version but that's pretty pretty cl- close to it so yes you take yeah. in you know food or grass or other types of materials that would normally break down um, or would break down by bacteria they bacteria themselves then produce what's called uh, you know uh, uh, the anaerobic digestion gases so this mixture of methane and co2 and then if you combust that methane you can generate power from it Okay, um, it's always seemed to be such an obvious thing. So why is it taking so long for us to get around to doing that? Because every now, I mean, I remember seeing it on Country File like fifteen years ago. Some farmer in England would set up a an anaerobic digester on a, on his farm, and it, it didn't seem to be that overly complicated. So are we just a bit slow to get on the train? No, it's it's not that it's uh, particularly complicated, and, and and many countries around the real world would have been doing it for much longer. You know, you would have households doing it in Asia, um, and other parts of the world, which where they're using it then for heating up their homes or for cooking. And uh, the difficulty really is is down to the you know the expense of it. Um, it's 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 a more expensive form of of generating energy than would have typically been done by by burning natural gas so it was it was just cheaper to, to, to buy natural gas in and to burn it um, that all changed really with the with the rock scheme and the and this move to renewable energy um, and suddenly then with with that rock scheme the incentives that went along with you know this not this biological form of gas rather than natural gas um, increased its you know the level of, of interest and investment in it and so that's why it, you know there was a big big increase and is it slow i mean do you have to I mean how does it actually work so you uh, the, the council pitches up with all, all our brown bin waste and it, it goes in the door and then what did it did they add some kind of chemical to speed up the reaction or what how does it actually work no, it's 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 a bit like realistically you have these big huge tanks, mm-hmm. and these tanks um, could have resonance times of weeks, and so and that tank is a bit like a, like a cow's stomach, and uh, that you know that all of the food essentially gets you know sent in or dropped into that huge stomach, and then that process where the bacteria then break all that food down then happens within it. And then it produces gas, and then you take that gas off and you pipe it into uh, through a cleanup system, and then into an engine. And it, but it, it, it could it could be in that stomach for effectively weeks. Okay, and then you don't add uh, what is what do you call it a chemical catalyst running at the speed up the process running at the top. No, it's forward. pretty much all in there. So mm-hmm. it's as long as the as what you're feeding the system is is safe, then you then it will look after itself. Okay. Um, and do you know how much it will cost versus like like wind or solar? Is there is there a comparison roughly of how- there is, I mean it's it is more expensive than than say a typical wind turbine for the same amount uh, of power that you would generate out of it. Um, but then it's different in the sense that uh, you've now got that resource. So you know if you were talking about brown bin wastes from households, mm-hmm. it's there. It's going to need to go somewhere. Yeah. And so, and then this is a good option for essentially then taking that brown bin waste and and uh, and you know converting it over into energy and extracting that value out of it. Yeah, because because uh, I know the council sometimes will pay. Um, there's landfill charges and, there, and there's fees. So while it may cost more, you you might save on on those kind of charges to the council. So it could kind of maybe work out more economic. Correct. So there's different ways that you can convert over some of that waste into into higher value materials. So composting is one other way, one way of doing it. Um, the AD is a way of extracting out more energy from that waste that we generate in, in those brown bins. 
So AD is certainly within the mix. You know, if you were going straight to want to generate electricity and you didn't have any issues around the brown bin waste, then yes, you would go for other technologies, wind, solar. But if you've got that waste there, then you should be moving towards extracting the most value out of it. And this is where AD then starts to come in really, really well. Okay, because I, I know there there is a plans for a plant in the in the foreshore in Belfast. Is is there any is there any other ones in Northern Ireland at the moment, or will that be the first? Well, that's that's the latest and potentially one of the largest ones there. There are other plants mm-hmm. which are operating. Um, so there's plants up in Ballymena. There's smaller plants on many different farms now around Northern Ireland. Um, you know, it's about eighty of them, as far okay. as I know. Okay, because. Because I know there was some that was kind of powered on chicken poo, wasn't it? <laughs> that's that... correct. Yeah. So the <laughs> yeah. large one, sort of string bioenergy and open Balamina have a have yeah. one which is powered on chicken poo. Yeah. Yeah. What's the same word? Where there's muck, there's brass, isn't it? Correct. And we have a yeah. lot. Of, we have a lot of chickens. So yeah, yeah. Like 24, 30 odd million chickens in the country at any one time. So yeah, a lot of chickens. Um, they have you been following the technology? Because I know that um, the it was mentioned that they may have found something they can kind of like eat plastic to help with our obscene amount of plastic we use. Is, is there any kind of movement in, in that kind of area that we can turn plastic into energy? Well, yes. Again, people would have developed and found bacteria and enzymes and so on, which would digest down plastic, particularly things like the PETs. So these the plastics that we would have, for instance, in our milk bottles. Mm-hmm. So that that can be done. Um, there are other technologies because you know at the end of the day, plastic is a is a hydrocarbon, a bit like oil and wax and so on. And so you can burn it, and you can you know take systems which would burn it cleanly. So again, people are looking at things like pyrolysis and gasification and just simple combustion of these of these plastics in order to be able to um, to generate energy through that combustion operation now if you've got you know cleaner plastics and you want to you can start to break it down using enzymes and bacteria into into some of its component parts and then rebuild those back up again but the major technology that's being applied at the minute in terms of the recycling of plastics is what they call this chemical method which is really just a thermal route and, and it breaks it down and into various different components, which then can go back into refineries to make new plastics. And does that is that working at the moment or still theoretical? No, it's working. People people are doing it. Um, it's it, it's more expensive, though, than, than taking oil out of the ground. And so there's always this uh, uh, it's where the economics then really comes in and, and has to kind of encourage people or incentivize people in some way in order to be able to, you know, to put these extra processing steps in to make you know you know to use the plastics in this way i mean and that's that's you know it, it, my own take on it would be that i would rather if you if you've got plastics which are of uh, for instance a very good quality then they should go back into making new products and so again mm-hmm. there's examples within northern ireland where they would take certain plastics um from you know the black bins and, and from the not the black bins but the you know, the recycle bins that we would have and if we can get them to sufficient quality then those get taken and cleaned and then and converted into into pipes got it um that is that that's that is fascinating isn't it the, the, the possibilities i think it leads into this idea of the, the circular economy this idea that you have to kind of put a value on everything to kind of make sure things are recycled which we we grew up in the day where you used to get ten p on on your cook bottle and so but almost like every item has to have some kind of value. So every milk bottle will have a twenty p surcharge. So it it makes it economic, you know, that you you do kind of recycle these things and there's some kind of cost to it. Correct. I mean, there's a lot a lot of the work that we've been doing in the past is really about just trying to understand what people's value sets are and how they put value onto things. So yes, what you've been talking about there is in terms of adding twenty pence onto a, the price of a coke bottle, uh, or a milk bottle, or any any bottle in order to be able to add to to retain its value, um, is one of the ways that that people are looking at. But then even if you go around your own home, you know, start looking at all of the bottles that you would have, everything shampoo bottles, you know, everything, you know, you, you could have a hundred bottles sitting in your house. 
Yeah. Um, and if each one of those has value, then, you know, you it's, it starts to add up. Well, I mean, there has to be, because um, I know that that's been the problems with the recycling industry for, because I know, I know for years we had this kind of strategy of uh, let's send all our recycling to China or, <laughs> or India. And, and then I know they have crackdown. Um, so we, we need to do more to kind of recycle this stuff within Ireland and the UK and not just kind of fob it off on the other side of the world. Correct. Yeah. So I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot to do in order to be able to increase the recycling rates. We we have seen some success in that um, within again within Northern Ireland over the last number of years, and so recycling has increased significantly. But there's a lot more we can do, um, and making it convenient for people to to recycle is one of the key issues. I mean, when you look at something, you need to be able to know whether or not you can or can't. You don't need to you know start searching for some number at the bottom of it or or whatever. It needs to be absolutely clear, uh, to mm-hmm. facilitate those decisions to to make a choice as to whether or not it can be recycled or it can't. And if it can't be recycled, then we have to be working with the industry and being able to reduce down the amounts of those materials accordingly. Okay, and I know another um, fuel added to the mix there. There's plans for. Uh, the incinerator plants, or as, as they prefer to call it, energy from waste, sounds sounds friendlier. Um, which seems like a good idea, and I know they do it in kind of Sweden and Denmark, but I, I notice certain issues with uh, the PPEs, as these kind of chemicals that can kind of uh, can come off. It's just, isn't it the same ones that come from uh, car exhaust as well? That are kind of very small microparticles. So, I mean, have you any view on that or you, you think it, it kind of, we need to do something with this rubbish and we're at the moment sticking it in a big hole in the ground isn't isn't too sensible? Well, I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, the key thing really is about trying to reduce down the amount of rubbish that we produce in the first place. If we are going to mm. produce rubbish, then we have to work out how safely we're going to dispose of that with the minimum impact on the environment and people's health. And there are a lot of technologies out there. There's gasification, there's incineration, there's pyrolysis. There's lots of different things which can be applied to that type of waste. Uh, again, the majority of them are, are working on the basis that um, that the quality is insufficient to allow it to be directly recycled and therefore thermal processes, which just heat it up to various different extents, um, become the go-to technology. And then it's just around the choice of how do you do that and then what do you do on the back end of that heating process in order to make sure that the, the, the emissions and the gases and the other types of waste that are coming from that process uh, are, are as safe as possible. And is there any other um, things that we should be aware of, kind of new technologies that are going to be part of the mix in, in the future for, for gen- power generation? Oh. Are we, we covered them all? Yeah, well, it's just, I think it's the... It, you know, it's the mix of technologies. I think is is really where where the interesting things is happening, and how do those? How does that mix change on a day to day basis? How does it adapt to the weather? You know, yeah. how did the storage technologies come in, and how do we end up being able to carry and store an awful lot more energy that we would use on a day to day basis, so that we become you know um, you know more energy you know, resilient. You know, and then we can try to maximize the resources that we have available to us. You know, so what we're looking at, you know, here at the minute is, you know, how do we combine, for instance, renewable energies with agriculture in order to be able to, you know, to decrease our reliance on land and how do we add value that way? You know, how do we create jobs from from looking at those assets of renewable energy and, and agriculture? You know, it's it's it, that's there's a, and how do we change our behavior so that we reduce down? How do we integrate in, in a circular economy? How do we change people's behaviors and attitudes? And how do we blend that in with technology rather than coming up with another new technology, which will, you know, which we're waiting for to try and save us? I think a lot of the technologies are already there. It's just how do we mix them? Mm-hmm into the mix does it cause a problem for um the networks with, with all these different generating systems because I, I mean if you go back to like the 70s or the, the 80s I, I assume the chunk of all the power use in northern ireland probably just came from Kilroot or belly dumford and it was kind of one or two plants that just powered everything but now you can have 20, 30 different sources of energy does that cause any problems for the grid or oh it causes a big problem for the grid um, yeah. you know there's there's all this stuff of, about you know synchronous and asynchronous 
you know loads um you know and what happens whenever you know like a, a gust of wind would go past a, a turbine increase its power and how does the grid handle that to make sure that sensitive equipment on the grid is stable but again you know i'd have to give credit to the operators uh, you know in northern ireland and the republic of ireland because they are probably you now the world leaders and in, in actually understanding how to how stabilize grids accordingly you know, and how to balance those loads and how to put battery systems and capacitor systems and other types of systems into that in order to be able to, you know, make sure that, that you know, the, the lights will go on here and that the grid is stable. Yeah, I mean, uh, we are, because I, I know in Northern Ireland we, we complain a lot generally about everything, but to be fair to them, I mean, I can't think the last time we've ever had a power outage in, in our house. I mean, it, it is fairly stable service. I mean, you need to kind of forget about it then. You know? It is, and, and and when it does happen, it is generally because something is ripped through a, a line, you know. And yeah. uh, you know, we have a huge amount of renewable energy on our grid at the minute, um, more so than many other countries, and and we are able to manage and, and stabilize that. So you know, my hat goes off to them in terms of that that they think they've done a fantastic job. Yeah. Did Do you, you ever see there's a as a famous YouTube video where it shows the um. Uh, the grid networks in the in England and and uh, they prepare for um, the outbreak in Coronation Street, <laughs> <laughs> and and the guy he has to go and pull in power from France, etc. It's like a real rush because at, at that moment everyone switches on their kettle to make cups of tea. <laughs> Quite correct. Every time you you do something, you are you know you're you're changing things like the frequency in the grid, and I'd have to get my electrical engineering colleagues to basically explain this a lot better. But yes. You know, when you do, when you put on a load onto the grid, it will change things. And if that changes too much, then then things start to fall over. And that's where you get, you know, power outages happening. Okay. And just to finish up, because um, I, I know we, the big concern is with uh, climate change and energy use and global demand. But I mean, are you optimistic that we can solve a lot of these issues? I mean, is is the big issue more like political will really at this stage rather than necessarily like a research? Mm. I I honestly I am optimistic. Do you know, I I think there's been big changes in the way we look at things and how we start to you know uh, where we go for our energy. How do we you know value the things that we have? You know those those are changing quite a lot within the next generation. And that leads to lots of new opportunities. You know, we all we all still we don't want to you know go back in time really in terms of not having access to things. We we still want to have that access, and we can still I believe we still can have those services and and, and that access. We would just do it in different ways. And so, if there's an attitude out there to be able to to still travel and to still see the world and to still be connected and to still have, you know have things then that's there but we, we we just need to be upping the quality and reducing you know the the wastage that we would be having and i think that's where things will change so i'm i'm, I'm positive about it okay and I, I there is a lot of research i, I take it going on at, at queens and the other universities and all these areas and the technologies and quite right so yeah we're we're looking at engineering in for marine energy systems um new types of technologies to go in there we're looking at circular economy we're looking at behaviors, we're looking at plastics, we're looking at new cities and new designs, we're looking at lots of different things right across the university from each of the faculties, the engineering and the physical sciences, the, the impacts on health and how do we basically, you know, improve our livelihoods and our well-being and, and right, right through to policy and politics. Yeah, because well. you, you even wonder like how COVID will affect things if people are at, at home more because then and then the power use is switching away from the city centers to you know the home heating the electric use and then the suburbs and at homes as opposed to the towns you know right right and there's been a distribution yes yeah, so of of the way that that is done and how how we use information and, and how we don't necessarily need to travel all over the place in order to be able to do, to, to have meetings it's just a, a kind of a sitting back pausing and reflecting on, on the things that we need to do and the things that maybe we could do using other other technologies such as this exactly yeah saves right last question is when will i get a one-day battery in my laptop <laughs> <laughs> well it depends on how big do you want the battery to be <laughs> yeah it is a paradox because i know i have i have the new iphone super duper iphone 11 and 
you're lucky to get less than a day. And I kind of remember 20 years ago, remember the old Nokia's used to go for like a week on a charge. <laughs> I know, I know it's, it's, uh, it's, the iPhone's obviously a lot more complicated, but in, in some ways we, we kind of go a bit backwards sometimes on the technology. We do. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's like whenever we were, you know, buying more efficient TVs and then we just bought a bigger TV, you know, so. Yeah. Our know, bigger cars. Our bigger car. Problem as well? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's just we we tend to live within our constraints, you know, or whatever. We 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 try not to live within our constraints. We try to always like push things to the boundaries. And uh, so if we get if we get a, a system which has a battery that would have lasted an Nokia a month, we will have more apps and a bigger screen and so on. Yeah, uh, yeah. Now running, so it still only lasts a day. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about electric bikes. They look so cool, and and they're getting quite popular at the moment. They are. They are pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm quite tempted know, to get one I, myself. Yeah, because I know in Holland uh, they've overtaken um, normal bikes and then everyone was horrified, but they're saying part of the, uh, the growth area is, is older people and, you know, people maybe just for whatever reason don't have the same capacity to push on uh, a, a normal bike. And they're saying, you know, it kind of keeps people cycling. It does, yeah. And there's there's various different types out there. There's the older type ones, which was like a motor sitting on the wheel, or there's the one which is more like a power system and pedal. And uh, they're great. When I, when I was, you know, if I was in continental Europe, yeah, in Germany and, and, and uh, you know, so on, there was a lot of people going around and then particularly older generations who were doing tours yeah. of towns and cities. And in fact, I took a walk around here, not that uh, the other day and uh, on the road, there was an elderly couple powering up this hill, which, uh, yeah, on, on an e-bike. So it was great to see it. Yeah. So on that happy note, we look forward to the day when we have lots of new cycle lanes and we're all tuning along on our, on our bikes I look forward to that too yes and <laughs> see <laughs> okay so that was uh, Professor David Rooney from Queen's David uh, thanks very much for your time thank you and if you enjoyed today's podcast please subscribe for future episodes and give us a like see you next week the Slugger Tool podcast is sponsored by Queen's University Belfast researchers at Queen's are at the heart of supporting global efforts to understand the coronavirus To discover more about their research, please visit qeb.ac.uk.